welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters, let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we make space for honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name what matters. Hello and welcome. I am so glad you're here. Today is a really special episode of the Let It Matter podcast because I am joined today by Amanda Held Opelt. Amanda recently released her first book, A Hole in the World, Finding Hope in Rituals of Grief and Healing, which she has also generously partnered with us to give away a copy of, so stay tuned at the end of the episode for more details on that. For those of you who don't know, Amanda's sister is the late, lovely Rachel Held Evans, who passed away unexpectedly in 2019. So we're going to be talking a little bit about our experiences of grief and loss, and then we're going to talk about how creative expression can serve us as we process grief. I do want to acknowledge here that grief is not just reserved for when someone we love dies. Losses and deaths of many kinds can bring about grief, and that is absolutely valid and legitimate. Because of mine and Amanda's experiences, this conversation will primarily reference grief caused by the death of someone we love, but grief is still grief, and I hope regardless of the reason for yours, this episode still serves you. To those of you for whom this episode is not personally relevant, in that you haven't experienced a significant loss or grief yet in your life. First of all, I thank God for that, for you and with you. Second of all, I said the word yet for a reason, because we will all lose people we love or grieve for other profound losses eventually. And maybe today's conversation can give you a hope and maybe some solidarity when the time comes. And finally, even if by the grace of God you never experience grief, grief in your life, almost everyone you know will. And I hope this conversation may prepare you and equip you to be a better companion to them on their journey. And then finally, to those of you in the fresh hell of grief from a recent loss or death of a loved one, you might consider skipping this episode or holding off. um, Maybe listen on a day when the hell doesn't feel quite so fresh. On the other hand, there is something profound in feeling more named and known by hearing our experiences told back to us in the stories of others, and we feel less alone. So if we can be a companion just for the next 45 minutes or so, you are so welcome here, and I would just urge you to go slow, pause or stop if and when you need to, and to take care of yourself. With that said, let me introduce Amanda officially and we'll get into the conversation. Amanda Held Opelt is an author, speaker, and songwriter. She writes about faith, grief, and creativity and believes in the power of community, ritual, shared worship, and storytelling to heal even our deepest wounds. 
Amanda has spent 15 years serving in the nonprofit and humanitarian aid sectors. She lives in the mountains of Boone, North Carolina with her husband and two young daughters. Let's get into this conversation. So, Amanda, thank you so much for joining me on the Let It Matter podcast. I'm so honored and thankful to have you here. Um, So just welcome into the space. Yeah, I have been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. Yeah, me too. Okay, so um, I I introduced you in the beginning of the show and um, kind of situated your context to give your bio, um, mentioned sort of how we uh, kind of came to this conversation. Mm -hmm. But I want to first, just to let listeners know, I emailed you this um, Mm -hmm. that I want to share ahead of time to make sure it was okay with you Mm -hmm. and that. Uh, and you agreed. So I want to start by sharing with our listeners the similarities in our stories of grief and loss. Um, So we have both lost our older sisters, both watched our parents lose their children, Mm -hmm. Um, both of whom were born in 1981, both who died in their 30s, way too young and unexpectedly. Our sisters and our families spent the days leading up to their deaths in the ICU watching machines keep them alive. And steady IV drips, keeping seizures at bay. They both went into the hospital in April. And my Mm -hmm. sister passed away on May the 3rd of 2011. And I believe Rachel passed away on May 4th of 2019, so eight years later. Uh, Meaning the anniversaries of our sort of traumatic events leading up to and then the day of and and even after um, come at the same time as each other. So um, even though our losses were caused by different things, My sister battled addiction for years, and she died of an overdose. Um, Rachel got a bad flu and then had a severe allergic Mm -hmm. reaction to a medication. And then obviously there are vastly different um, implications in terms of impact and legacy Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, when it comes to to Rachel. But for us and our families, like they're just our big sisters, right? That's right. Um, And I knew that if I was going to be having a conversation – with anyone about grief, I, I wanted it to be with you. So I'm, I just want to share that with listeners to, to give them sort of, um, a context of like how similar our stories are, even though they are wildly different in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but it sort of gave me this kinship feeling with you. Yeah, totally. I, when I read that summary that you sent, I was like, Oh, Oh my goodness. Like that's, I don't know hardly anybody else who's walked a story quite as similar as me. And so just immediately felt like a connection, a a connection to you that can't, can't be denied and it's powerful. And we don't, we don't know each other really, you know, but we do. And and yes. Oh, and we do. Um, And I, I also, I feel, I feel this when someone loses someone after me, like they're, they're behind Mm -hmm. me on the journey. I have this intense protectiveness yeah, for them, yeah. and and this That's just right. like oh, I know that phase, I know that stage, I know yeah, what it's like that far out, and um, yeah. and so even just in the days after, I knew Rachel had a sister, I knew of your uh, music, and. And that's almost that's always my first thought now because most people go to parents or kids mm-hmm. or spouses mm-hmm. and siblings yeah. oftentimes get overlooked. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. That's just why they're called the forgotten griever so so yeah. often. You know is. And I get, you know, I totally understand it. I understand it. And um, 
And yet it is, it's the atom bomb that goes off in your life when you lose a sibling. It's that's a, that's actually an excellent transition. So the, the first sort of part of our conversation, I read recently, Glennon Doyle had once described grief as a chrysalis that you go Mm. in one thing and you come out. So utterly transformed. You're an entirely different creature. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that description, except the the one exception I've found is that you don't actually come out mm-hmm. <laughs> from yeah. it and you don't emerge from it entirely, but that yeah. it too transforms. Our grief also mm-hmm. transforms over yeah. time and begins to look different. And so I, I wonder if we could just talk about how grief has mm. transformed us and then how yeah. our grief has transformed over time. Yeah. And I know for you, you just, it hasn't been that long. Um, yeah. I know people may think it's been years, but that's not that long. <laughs> it's just not that yeah. long. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in some ways I'm like, it feels like centuries and in other mm-hmm. ways it feels like it was yesterday. You know, yeah. it's like grief years are like dog years. Yeah. It's everything's <laughs> elastic. And, and I, the only way I can describe it, it was like, you know, um, Rachel died in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And when I, I, I knew, even as I kind of laid my head on the pillow, um, is I wasn't actually, you know, there with her when she died. I was at home with her, with her children yeah. and with my mother who was sick. And, um, I knew when I laid in bed that night that when I woke up, she would be gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, I woke up that morning and it wasn't even like, um, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was waking up on a new planet. It was like I was waking up in a new dimension. You know, yeah. I like I I felt like your exactly old framework like didn't even work anymore. There's no north, south, east, east, yeah. west. Everything's changed. My future's yeah. changed. I feel like I've lost the past. I don't even know what the present is. Yes. Um, I think that's the thing about losing a sibling that a lot of people don't understand. My dad said this in a, really graciously to me. He said, Amanda, a lot of people are asking us how we are because they empathize with the parents instinctively. Mm-hmm. But he said, you will be the person in this world that loved her the longest mm-hmm. because I I knew her before her husband did, and mm. I will grieve her likely. I will outlive my parents, yeah. and I will grieve her beyond, you know, the time that they leave this earth. Yeah. And and so there's something about sibling loss where you feel like you lose some innocent piece of your past, this person that was always with you from your earliest, most innocent days. And so there's, yeah, you, there's there's a past that is lost and then, and then the future too, you know, you're, you're, I don't know, people think of partners as the person that you imagine growing old with. Well, I imagined growing old with my sister, of you course. know, yeah. and, and that's lost now. And, and all those years I hoped to have, it was, it's death in the wrong order. It's a death in the wrong yes. order. You know, it it, losing so a parent's unnatural. hard. Yes. Losing a grandparent's hard. All those things are hard, but there's something about it that feels like expected. You're kind of bracing yourself for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it was just like, okay, I have to learn how to, I have to learn how to do everything again from yeah. scratch in some ways, because she was the North Star from the beginning. And the, I want to do, I do want to point out that is a little bit of a difference in our story. First of all, I have a younger brother also who's, mm-hmm. who is still with me. And so there's, I know I have him that if yeah. our parents are, you know, our parents are gone one day that that there will be someone else who's younger than me even who remembers her and who experienced 
you know, her being a jerk to us when we were trying yeah. to, you know, mess with her stuff in her room or when we wanted to hang out with her friends or, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. doesn't make her a saint that she was still a yeah. human being for, you know, and, right, right. and, um, and flawed. And, and, and the other thing is my relationship with my sister was so, it, I, I could only generously describe it as Rocky. It had, we had been estranged as a family from her for about yeah. six years and had sort of started to reconnect, but that was still new from that six year, mm-hmm. you know, really, really hard season full of a lot of anger and self-righteousness in me and yeah. distance. And so, um, and so I showed up to the ICU with a whole lot of mm-hmm. stuff to say yeah, and unsaid sure. and feel, feeling like I, you know, we, she had been without oxygen for 20 minutes while she was seizing and they shocked her. Yeah so many yeah. times to bring her back, but I, I never got the feeling visiting her that she was still in there. Um, yeah. And yeah. so yeah. it was saying something to her body, but it felt like talking to a headstone. I know that's a weird thing to yeah. say because she was still there, yeah. but it didn't, I didn't feel like she was. I'm not a real energy feeling person. So that was a weird experience yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so anyway, I just, I want to, I do want to point that out that there, there are different complications when someone is your North star, that Mm, is a different loss. And, and it's not, it's one's not easier or harder. I want to be clear. Um, yeah, it's, there's a loss of that closeness and all of all that you guys already shared for me, my hope was always like, one day we'll get this together and we, and we'll get, just Mm. get to be close. I'll get to have a big sister. She was six and a half years older than me. So we weren't that close growing up, you know, I mean, I loved her and she was my sister, but we didn't hang out. (laughs) So Yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, you were already grieving so much loss in some ways, you know? And over that six years, watching her battle addiction and, and, um, you know, it was, uh, anyway, my, the reason I said that was just because, um, there's this, like, I think there's this portrait we can paint of like unfinished business. As if that's mm-hmm. somehow harder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as yeah. if like, for example, in my story, as if that would be harder because now I can't, um, I can't have the reconciliation with her or whatever. I feel like your story would be harder <laughs> because Gosh. you were so, because you lost something so much closer to you. You know what I mean? I mean, there's always unfinished business, I think. You know, I think when you get to the end, it never feels like you think it's gonna feel the mm-hmm. even if you felt like you said all the words that yeah. you had in your heart there it'll never be enough it'll yeah. y- you'll always want one more conversation you'll always want one more um shot at maybe reconciling a difference or understanding mm-hmm. someone's side of a story a little bit better mm-hmm. but I, I think you've named something that's really important for this you know sad sisterhood and brotherhood mm-hmm. of grief yeah. is that you can always say to someone I you can never really say to someone I know how you feel mm. you know because you're the only one living in the particulars of your grief story I think it's Jan Richardson who says that um yeah grief is piercingly particular 
and and only you know Mm. piercing yeah you only you know what sadness and sorrow how it fits into the very specific contours of your life and and the challenges that that arises as a result of someone dying only you know what it's like to live that and so what I try to say to people now even somebody like you who has Mm. a very similar story Mm. I would say I know a little bit about what you're going through or I've walked a similar road Mm. as you but I have never walked your road. And that's yeah. why grief is so freaking lonely. It's so lonely it's so because lonely. no one knows what it is to lose your loved one yeah. and the relationship you had, you know? That's exactly right. And and I think um, as I talk about like how my grief has, has transformed, not just how I have yeah. been changed, which is irrevocably, irreversibly um, – I've had two faith evolutions that I know I mm-hmm. probably never would have even come about had I not lost her. Yeah. And I wouldn't do it this way. Yeah. Um, I know. But, you know, it, it just, um, the way my grief has transformed, I was watching, um, I'm really into those like genealogy shows, Finding Your Roots and Who Do oh, You Think You Are? totally you know? into that. Okay. I love it. Oh yeah. Love it. <laughs> I Yeah. So I've got my parents hooked on it and I was watching an episode, um, a most recent one, Edward Norton said- he had lost somebody and he, he said, you know, I've come to realize that over time, your relationship doesn't actually end when they die. Mm-hmm. Your relationship yeah. continues and it's not just carrying a yeah. torch. You sort of still relate to them. I have, I have not just, you know, my, at first I thought my work was to forgive my sister. My work mm-hmm. now is that I wish I could beg her forgiveness. Hmm beg her yeah. forgiveness for the way that we treated her. And so, and, and to just scoop her up. She was 30 when yeah. she died. I'm 35 now. It was the weirdest yeah. feeling getting older than yep. she ever got. Yes. I, I mean, I marked the exact day that I've turned, oh, it, you know, it wasn't just that I turned 38. It's that I turned yeah. 37 and like 11 months and three days, you know, yeah. that's because that's about as far yeah. as she made it. And that exact moment where I became older than my older sister. Than your older is, sister. Yeah. It's Im- impossible. It is impossible to think that I have more life experience than she did now. Yeah. That yeah. is wild. And, and yeah. to, I mean, I was 23 when she died, so I thought I knew everything, right? Wow. Wow, and, wow, wow, wow. And I was, on, uh, I was 11 months clean out of, out of my own addiction because I didn't know how to deal with hers. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and some right. of my own trauma, you know, there was just so much I couldn't see and deal with at the time. Yeah. But, but my relationship to her has, has wildly evolved for the better. And mm-hmm. at first for the worse, I was, you know, yeah. for leaving <laughs> or for doing yeah. this to mom or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But now I have so much compassion, not just for my younger self, but for her mm-hmm. and, and my God, how lonely she must've been and, you know, all these things. And so, yeah. um, I love that my grief has transformed in that way that that I can now see my relationship with her isn't over. Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, just breaking in here real quick to tell you that the Let It Matter podcast has launched our Patreon community and I would love to have you join us there. For just $4 a month US, you get exclusive content like additional episodes and uncut interviews access to monthly matterings, a private monthly Zoom call with me for partners only, and lots more. One of the bonus episodes already available in Patreon is a conversation I recorded with my best friend of over 25 years to talk about the good, the hard, and the holy of long-term friendships. 
In that conversation, I asked Lauren what it was like for her as the friend when I was thrust into grief and darkness after losing my sister. Here's a bit of that conversation. I watched you completely shut down. It it was like you didn't have the words. And obviously for very good reason, it was completely understandable why it was happening, but it was almost like I didn't even know what to do because I couldn't reach you. You know, it was like this person that I had known for basically my whole life, you know, was just in a different world. For more info on the perks or to join our partner community, go to letitmatterpodcast.com forward slash partners. Now back to the show. As I mentioned in your intro, you um, recently published a book on grief and then you Mm -hmm. also, you, um, put out a six song was it an EP basically mm-hmm. um yeah. companion album to the book um so obviously you're a creative if in case anybody hasn't picked that up yet from this conversation um in the book you specifically look at 12 different sort of rituals that have been um, practiced throughout various cultures and contexts some which still are and, and many which aren't anymore um and and I what I noticed in several of them was was the common thread of that it is mm-hmm. creative expression um, mm-hmm. that people use access creativity and creative expression to help process and cope with their grief and so um, I wonder if you could talk about like when you first not not for public consumption but when did you first access your creativity within mm-hmm. grief. Um, and sort of what did you, what did you find there? Yeah. You know, I, as Rachel was dying, I, I did the same thing. I don't journal. It's so embarrassing as an author to be someone who doesn't journal. I I hate (laughs) to admit it, (laughs) but I'm not a big, not a big journaler. Um, I got all my angsty journaling out in my junior high years. Um, and those are a sight to see. Um, but I, when Rachel was dying, I, I thought I need, I need, I need, I'm going to need to have words around this someday. I'm going to need to know what I was thinking and feeling in the thick of it. So there's only two times in my adulthood that I've really actively journaled. It was when I was in Iraq, um, mm-hmm. you know, in a war zone for a few weeks. And then yeah. when I, when Rachel was dying and immediately after she died. And so I think it was, that was just my these, this is my, you know, people say word vomit. This is just my, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the moaning, the, the, the keening. I write about Irish keening in, in the book, which is wailing in a funeral, like just completely um, uninhibited, um, you know, uh, wailing at, at a funeral. And so those Can I tell words you, when I read wail. that, something in me went like, oh, if I could. Yeah. Right? Like there's just that part of me that went like, how good would it have felt or cathartic or important would it have felt yeah. to literally screamed when I felt like screaming and yeah. wailed when it, I yeah. felt like wailing. Uh, it was powerful. Anyway, I'm sorry. Continue. Wow. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, and I still do on occasion and usually it is in my car. So if you live on the side of 194 <laughs> in Watauga County, North Carolina, and you see Shout a wild out. woman driving down the road with the windows down and they're screaming. That's me. And because I, it is, it is such an important, you know, um, 
to, to not try to frame it neatly, to not try and put a, a tidy redemptive bow around it, but to say, this is how I'm feeling, whether that's a whale, whether that's just, um, again, um, honest words, authentic, mm-hmm. difficult words that you put on, onto a page. And so I still have those, that word document on my laptop somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later I, you know, um, I have a hard time actually, I think, being really um, effectively creative, I guess, when I'm in the real raw moments. And so usually what I do is kind of if if I know, okay, I really I need to create a space for me to encounter this pain again Mm -hmm. and and I want it to maybe be something I could offer to someone else, Mm -hmm. um, then I, I usually kind of take the raw stuff and, and give it a little bit of time to air out. You know what I mean? Um, and that's when I kind of started writing songs. And for me, songwriting is not just like, that's a creative, productive work. It's something that kind of gets you back in your body because it forces you to use your fingers and your arms to play an instrument. So you have Mm -hmm. to, to breathe the work, if that makes sense. And so for me, writing songs was about kind of paying attention to how the grief was impacting my body and being present in my body instead of numbing and and bringing my whole body to grieve. And so mm-hmm. that's what that's why I kind of started writing songs about all the losses that I'd experienced and um and and it, it, I guess somewhere along the way I heard I read an article about grief rituals mm-hmm. and from around the world that you know strange grieving practices from around the world. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of led me on kind of the research. I know research isn't really an art form, but for me, in some ways it is. It just it it kind of helps me process. Mm-hmm. I mean, I tend to approach suffering very academically and I wish I wasn't that way, but I, mm-hmm. I'm like, give me all the info. Like, I want to know the history yeah. behind thinking the way we think about grief and death. And, mm-hmm. and that's when I wrote my agent and said, I was working on another book proposal at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I, I it was one I was working on with Rachel. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. I, I need to step away from this. Would something like this be more helpful now? Because we were in the midst of COVID-19 and everyone was learning kind of afresh right. what it meant to be fragile in this world and to grieve yes. uh, unprecedented amount of death and, and loss. And so that's when I um, made the proposal for the yeah. book about grief rituals. So thankful you did. I I saw somebody say to you the other day on Twitter and and it was my experience too, was, um, when, like when it was released, I was like, I know I want to read that someday. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I, there was, I can't remember exactly even what it was. It was last fall. There was just some other tenderness that I was sort of working Mm -hmm. through. And I, sometimes I refer to my grief muscles. Like I, I I need to be having a strong grief muscles day. Mm -hmm. That's Um, good to dive into like um uh hearing stories about like the dark times in Holly's life from people who knew her yeah. or I need to um need I need strong grief muscles because I'm going to see someone who reminded me of her or who yeah that's right got to see her even more recently than I did alive mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. like that but I so that was sort of how I felt when it came out was I'm going to own it I'm going to have it as I'm going to know it's there. Yeah. And yeah. then when I pick it up, I, I, I really, I believe it'll be like a nudge from God being like, don't forget you have this. Yeah. Um, and, and that is exactly what happened. And, mm. uh, I, I sort of accessed something in therapy that 
unlocked um, a grief I didn't know I had or I didn't know I was mm. still sort of still in as as intensely as I was. And and then I was like, oh, yeah, I want to read. I knew I knew you had talked about the rituals and I was like, I want to see how other people do this. And and then I yeah. and then I was able to to dive into it. I um I tweeted about this this morning, but my I love what you said about kind of giving it some time also. Mm-hmm. When I talk about expressing my grief and creativity, I don't mean during the traumatic event. I mean mm-hmm. on the journey somewhere yeah. <laughs> down the line. So I had gone to grief counseling. Um because I was just eat up in the months after she died in May and and in July of 2011 my grief counselor mm-hmm. said to me you you know I, I she had she had seen like when I'd come in with like my homework assignment and 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 I would write it in a way that was like you know it was writing and not just uh, <laughs> an assignment and yeah and she was like this seems to be something you have a gift for what if you blogged or what if you just wrote about yeah. this experience? You need to, what she said was, she's a Christian counselor. She said, um, you know, God promises us beauty from ashes. And I think that's one thing creativity in something like this can do. It can take the mess and the darkness that's inside your head. Yeah. Use your yeah. hands to externalize it from your body. Hmm. So, you know, so that it exists somewhere other than just inside you. Yeah. And, and then maybe it's also art. Maybe it serves somebody someday. And so I wrote my first blog post ever and what ended up becoming three posts because I had to give myself a break was just a searingly, I mean, sort of minute by minute details of the six days we spent in Lubbock, um, with her on life support. And, and I, I went back and read that this morning as I was prepping for this, and I kept thinking to myself, I am so glad I have this yeah. because grief and time can start to yeah. obscure our memories, right? Yes, yes, and yes. I don't want to lose that. And now I never yeah. will. I never have to worry about that, that I yeah, won't remember exactly right. how I felt on those days or what yeah. it looked like seeing my parents, you know, meet me in the hallway and saying, they've declared or, you know, bring, you know, whatever it was like each sort of the next worst thing that we face together Uh, or, yes. Or the weird, like, (laughs) this is, this is so crazy, but I, I've always wondered why we did this. We decided to terminate life support on Tuesday morning after they finally concluded their tests. And we said we'd do it at three in the afternoon. So we had four hours. And for some reason, my mom, my grandma and I left the hospital and went to Cato and shopped for her clothes to be, that she'd be buried in and a picture frame for her photo for the funeral. And I think if given the situation, we would never make that choice again to leave her. I, I know, but there's no manual what, what were we on gonna do? this Sit kind there of thing. And count her breaths that were left. I, I like, know you, was... you get to work. I mean, you, 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 uh, that yeah. I, I can so relate to that story. Yeah. The things that we did in those weeks and how we coped. It's wild what death requires of you too. There's a lot of tiny detail. I mean, planning a funeral is like planning a wedding. You got to pick a dress. You're absolutely right for them, for you. Yeah. Um, I, I have that, that blog site is still there. Don't go searching for it people. Um, cause there's a lot of really theologically 
harmful stuff on there from my earliest, uh, most passionate days in evangelicalism. But I, um, but I, I read another one that further down that was just so many questions, and it was it was a page and a half of solid. Why did God do this? Why did God save Sam and not Holly? Mm-hmm. Why would we do this? Why is Job supposed to make us feel better? Just yeah. a free association of questions mm-hmm. that I had in that time, and I and I'm just so thankful for for creativity yeah. and creative expression. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I didn't know I was doing yeah. it at the time. Yeah, it gives you a point in time. And in some ways, like, I don't think we necessarily progress in some ways with grief because it's not like you, you know, go down this checklist of like, I think, you know, denial, bargaining, and you you graduate from grief. Poor Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I think she's a bit misrepresented in some ways. I read read the last book she wrote before she died, and she's like, I never meant this to be a formula, Um, the stages of grief. But it's kind of messed with us, right? Like, I don't think you progress in that way, but you do rise to grief Mm -hmm. in some way. You you expand to meet what it's going to require of you. And so when you have those documentation of those points in time of your growth, the way you've transformed, the way that you've built those muscles Mm -hmm. of grief, that's so important because I remember saying to my counselor um, when um, at at some point, I think it was when my my brother-in-law got remarried Mm. um, and and I kind of felt like, okay, he's going to be okay. The kids are going to be okay. And I said Mm -hmm. to her, um, which that's a reductive way to even look at their circumstances. I'll say that. But but I felt this kind of release on their behalf. And I said to her, um, I'm at ground zero now again with my grief. And Mm -hmm. now it's about me and not about them. And she said, you're not at ground zero. She said that, yes, there are going to be things that feel fresh, but you've developed so many skills for carrying this that you're going to be able to use in this new stage. Thank goodness for good therapy, right? That's right. Um, but, but, and so anyway, I'm just saying that to say that point yeah. in time that you have documented is something you can look back as kind of a, well, I'll get, I'll get a little evangelical on you and say it's Come your on. Ebenezer. You know it's, what I mean? It like, it's kind of, it's like your altar. That's charismatic. Say, this we is can what, do it. We can do it. We can do it. This is what this is what what God did. This is who I was. This is yeah. what my family survived, and we will memorialize it because we survived. And I think that's so important. Amanda, let me tell you this. This is what the moment that made me say how thankful I was to have those was. We it was three o'clock. The nurses took us into a, an adjoining room and said, "We're gonna remove the machines and stuff and clean her up a bit, and we'll bring you back in." Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in there with my mom, my dad, and my granddad, my mom's dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We were in there for like three minutes, but in that time, my dad got down on his knees in front of my mom and said, 25 years ago, I promised that man, he pointed at her dad, mm-hmm. that I would be with you for better or for worse. And it, mm-hmm. it doesn't get worse than this, yeah. but I wouldn't want anybody else by my side. Ah, <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. I don't even know if he'll remember having said that. Yeah. <clears throat> Shoot. Sorry. But I just thought I thought in the moment, and then I wrote I wrote down, yeah, most marriages wouldn't survive the trauma our family has has experienced up until this point. We're not even at the yeah. death yet, yeah. And and here's my dad, like they're basically having a little vow renewal in the three minutes while we wait to go, you know, hear them call time of death, basically of her yeah. of, of their daughter. It just I thought, oh my God. <laughs> Like yeah. my nephews and nieces will get to have this about their 
about their buddy, their granddad someday. And yeah. And yeah. And that's, isn't it so true in life that the hardest moments are sometimes the holiest moments and, and you will always have that to remember, you know, there's no more sacred experience than, than that moment. Well, that is what grief looks or has looked like for Amanda and myself. It might look completely different for you, or you might process and cope in other ways. One of the reasons, though, that this matters and that I wanted to talk about it on the podcast is because when you're in it and you're new to it, you can find yourself thinking, I have to be doing this wrong. Everyone else is doing this better than me. And so I hope in this conversation you heard two fellow travelers along a road that most of us will walk someday if you haven't or aren't already. It seems sort of obvious, obviously, why the grief conversation would matter, but I want to share with you why it was important to me to include the creativity and creative expression aspect of it. I'm recording this section of the episode about 24 hours after Amanda and I recorded our conversation. This afternoon, I was on the phone with my dad and mentioned that I had told on the podcast the story of what he said to my mom in the minutes before my sister died. He didn't even know what I was referring to. And when I told him the story of what he said, he didn't remember having said it. Those days were such a blur, and we were in so much shock. So I don't blame him, but I realize now that if I hadn't written that down when I did, when everything was still so fresh... And then been able to reread it yesterday before my conversation with Amanda. This beautiful, heart-wrenching, sacred moment might have been lost to time and obscured memories. Even in the valley of the shadow of death and in the darkest of days, there are still beautiful and sacred things happening. It seems God does not only give us beauty from our ashes, as in afterward. He also gives us beauty right there in the midst of them. Engaging our creativity and using it to process our grief or mark a moment or erect an altar we can return to and remember God and life and love, it matters. I think I realized today even more than I did yesterday how much it matters. My thanks again to Amanda for joining me for this very personal and also universal conversation. You can connect with Amanda and follow her work on Twitter and Instagram at Amanda Held Opelt or by visiting her website, amandaheldopelt.com, and I'll link to all her things in the show notes. As mentioned earlier in the episode, we'll also be giving away one copy of Amanda's book, so check out the Instagram post for this episode at Let It Matter Podcast on Instagram for details on how to enter the drawing. Join me next week as we continue to make space for honor and name what matters. And now, according to our little tradition as we close out, I offer you this benediction taken from John O'Donohue's Blessing for Grief in his book to bless the space between us. Sorrow will remain faithful to itself. More than you, it knows its way and will find the right time to pull and pull the rope of grief until that coiled hill of tears has reduced to its last drop. Gradually you will learn acquaintance with the invisible form of your departed. 
And when the work of grief is done, the wound of loss will heal and you will have learned to wean your eyes from that gap in the air and be able to enter the hearth in your soul where your loved one has awaited your return all the time. May it be so. Amen. Thank you.